I'm joined by Todd Fisher. You know, Carrie Fisher's brother, no, not Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher's real-life brother, also the son of Debbie Reynolds. He joins me on This Is Today. Welcome to This Is Today, the podcast that features the stories that make this day unique. It's Monday, December 28th, 2020. I'm Russ, and here's what you need to know about today. Well, first of all, I want to welcome all the new listeners because, yes, you, you got a new iPhone or a new i-something, and uh, you're listening to some podcasts now. You, you have that ability, and thank you for choosing this one. I, I hope you did. Well, actually, if you're listening, I guess you did, so all is good. Thanks for uh, joining me today. It's a National Call a Friend Day, so use that new iPhone to call a friend that you haven't talked to in quite some time. It's also National Chocolate Candy Day, so as if we need more candy after Christmas and all the holiday sweets that we've had. But, you know, hey, enjoy it anyway. It's it's also National Download Day. So if you did get a new iDevice, then go ahead and grab something. Download it. Uh, just careful what you download because, you know, there's some crazy stuff out there. All right. So what is This Is Today? We are a podcast that talks about national holidays like we just did or national recognitions. We also do guest interviews and we've got Todd Fisher coming up in just a few minutes. We also talk about the events of today. For instance, in 1912, on this day, the first municipally owned Streetcars take to the streets of San Francisco. My brother worked for Muni for a long time, so I've got to mention that. He just retired. How cool is that? Early retirement. So, you know, he's not that old. Uh, 1973. He likes, he likes me to add that every time. In 1973, the United States Endangered Species Act is signed into law by President Richard Nixon. In 1976, Winnie Mandela banished from South Africa. Yep. Couldn't go back. Now that's, of course, unless, you know, you believe in the Mandela effect, which, you know, changes history. Like we remember one thing, but we don't remember another thing. Um, the same way that we remember, you know what? Look it up. I can't explain the Mandela effect if I could. You know what? Actually, maybe in a few years, we'll look back at this and I will have properly explained the Mandela effect. Never mind. Look it up. Let's talk about another event on this day in 2016. American actress and singer Debbie Reynolds died, and this happened one day after the sudden and unexpected death of her daughter, Carrie Fisher, who we all know from playing Princess Leia amongst many, many other roles throughout her life. So we are going to be talking with Todd Fisher, Carrie's brother and Debbie's son, and we'll do that right after this. All right, and welcome back. Today, we discuss Mary Frances Reynolds. She was born in El Paso, Texas on April 1st, 1932. When she turned six, her family moved to Southern California. By the time she was 16, she had a movie contract with Warner Brothers and a name change. She became Debbie Reynolds. She then moved to MGM and well, she was in this film called Two Weeks with Love. She sang a song and it sold more than a million copies. The next big hit for her was Sing It in the Rain, where she danced alongside Fred Astaire. In 1955, she met Eddie Fisher, and just a few weeks after they met, they were engaged. Now, there's a little bit of a twist to that story that we'll hear later. Uh, in September of 1955, they were married. A year later, they had their daughter, Carrie, Carrie Fisher. We all know her and love her as Princess Leia in Star Wars. Another year goes by for Debbie and Eddie, and their second child is born, Todd Fisher. Todd joins us today. Hello, Todd. The last of the Mohicans. I'm still here. 
<laughs> yes, you are. That was so, one of my mom's favorite opening songs. I'm still here. Ah, yes. I remember that song. I, <laughs> it's coming back. <laughs> That's right. It, well, yeah. Well, and she would do it because she had survived so many things in her life that I think people enjoyed seeing her survive. You know, she was like one of these people that had had this. Well, first of all, she was a real regular person, as you just outlined in your lineage there that, you know, she had come from Texas and you know, didn't want to even be in show business. And, and so this sort of, she was really just one of the people. She was a movie star fan. She went to the movies and paid a dime. And, you know, she had her favorite stars. She never dreamed that she was going to be one one day. Right. Well, actually, let's talk about that move. Why did they move from El Paso, Texas to, you know, Burbank? So um, my grandfather, this is the middle of the depression. My grandfather works for the Southern Pacific Railroad and they give him an opportunity to take a job for them in Burbank, California. Now at the time, Burbank is, I won't use the word, you know, it's just the armpit of nowhere. And, and it, but it was a bit of a risk to come, but California was always a desirable place. You know, California mm -hmm. is the place you ought to be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they moved up the truck and they moved to Burbank. Now the, and literally like the Beverly Hillbillies, they moved in a model T Ford and they just, and everything was hanging off the truck and they were going 20 miles an hour across the desert very much like the Grapes of Wrath. You know, I mean, it was the Steinbeck classic, except the Reynolds family was hauling itself across there. And my great-grandmother was in the truck uh, from the Harmon side of our family. Uh, and, and they all came to California. And my mother started going to school in Burbank, California, and literally finished high school there. And that's how she eventually wins in this Burbank contest. It's a sad anniversary that brings you here today, the passing of your mom and the day before the passing of your sister. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to bring you on because they were such powerful, driven women. And, you know, we all know them from the films, the interviews, documentaries, books. Uh, you were there with them. And, and I'd love to hear some of the stories and, and, and talk about their legacies with you specifically. Like, let's start with your mom's passion and her sure. drive. Where do you think that came from? Well, I know where it came from because I was uh, programmed by the same person. Uh, you know, I didn't go to a Tony Robbins uh, convention. Uh, we were both programmed by my grandfather individually. This is Ray Reynolds. And, you know, he had he taught me as a little boy something that I didn't realize he had also taught my mother. I didn't know this for 25 years. But when I was a little boy, we were painting a fence. He was painting a fence in his backyard, a white picket fence like Tom Sawyer. And I walked up to him about seven years old and I said, hey, can I get in on that action? And he said, yeah, sure. But if you're going to start painting this fence with me, you have to finish it with me. And I was like, hey, man, no problem whatsoever. Let's, 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 let's roll with this. So he gives uh -huh. me the brush. We start painting. An hour later, I walk back over to him and I kind of hand him back the brush. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I've had enough. And he says, what? I said, well, I, I can't do anymore. He says, you what? I said, I can't <laughs> do anymore. He says, there is no word in this family's vocabulary. Can't. That's not in our vocabulary. He's talking to a seven-year-old. Right. Down on, he's down on his knees. So he's eye to eye with me. He was very intense. And I was like, okay. And believe me, he was a little intimidating. Not, he was a very sweet man, but he was, you know, he was the patriarch of the family and he was like very intense. And you're like, you bought into it. So I didn't realize that he had done that to my mother many, many years prior. And, and that is what led up to my mother being able to withstand Gene Kelly trying to kind of get her to quit. I mean, in the middle of early days of right. seeing the rain, he didn't want my mother at all. And he was, you know, really 
trying to prove his point that she wasn't up to it. And her feet were bleeding and she's under this little piano on a soundstage and this person leans down and she's crying under the table and he leans down and says, what's going on down there? And she looks up and it's Fred Astaire. And he, oh, wow. he reaches out his hand to her and he says, come with me. And he takes her down the road, down the MGM streets to a private soundstage where he rehearsed with Pandro Bergman and rehearsed and choreographed all of his great numbers. And he sat her down and she watched him. Mm-hmm work really hard and beat himself to death that no one knew that it took weeks of uh, countless hours to make those numbers perfect. No one knew she didn't know. And then she thought, wow, if it's good enough, if that's how hard it is for Fred Astaire, I I guess I understand why it's hard for me, but also echoing in the back of her mind is there's no word can't in our vocabulary. So those two factors between Ray Reynolds and Fred Astaire, that's pretty wide apart there. Uh, that is what gave my mother her drive in life in many ways. Now, she also had tremendous faith. She was a, a, a Christian and a person of faith. And so she, she knew she wasn't alone in the world. And, and, you know, so her faith was important to her as well. But these are very tangible, actionable things that she lived by. And she was just 19 during Singing in the Rain, That's right? right. That is oh, exactly. wow. Yeah, it's easy time to say I, I've had wow. enough, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, I think of the amount of things that I quit when I was nineteen. You know, just from a little struggle, and she just went on, powered through, and she was even in her bed for a couple of days after one of those scenes because it was so tough, right? It's not that she couldn't handle the work. I mean, at nineteen, we were all pretty tough, and she was no exception. She was a tough girl, anyway. She was a tomboy. She, she had her her cut her uh, uncles and my bro- her brother. You know, she grew up with them. She was one girl amongst many boys. And so she was a very, very, uh, quite capable to stand up to anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask yourself in this world, we hear a lot about, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world and people like that. And like, you know, no, you, you can imagine that people tried to pull that with my mom, right. you know, but, but right. uh, you can right. also imagine that she bit back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would imagine that Carrie would bite back as well. Yeah, so Carrie actually had a direct story with Harvey Weinstein where, you know, he uh, had uh, uh, inappropriately uh, uh, talked to her or tried to touch her in some inappropriate way. You know, I can't say what she said precisely, but she told him to take his little, you know what, and head to the other room. So she really slammed the guy. And uh, this also happened to a friend of hers, and she found out about it. And so she sent Harvey a dead fish in the mail. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like a message, a large sea bass. Wow. You know, but the truth is both my mother and Carrie were also just tough broads. You know, they're quite capable of standing up for themselves. Uh, not right. everybody is, but they certainly were. And um, my mother was, you know, infamous for being able to handle herself. I mean, you know, uh, so, and, and of course, Carrie in my opinion, was kind of a level beyond that. She had a lightsaber to boot, you know, so. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, uh, one of the things that I've, I've often heard, uh, you know, Carrie will, would have said something about her childhood, maybe not having a happy childhood. Now, you, you say that you had a happy childhood. What's the story there? Well, I mean, the, the, the problem with Carrie's story, my mother used to joke about it all the time, but it's true. She was like, Carrie would say, I didn't have a happy childhood. And my mother would say, yes, you did. I have films. <laughs> and, and she had like we have hundreds of hours of home movies you know where carrie is just raucousing around with me and we have elephants in the backyard and these huge parties and every all right. the celebrities are there and all of our friends are there with elaborate cakes and we've rented out theme parks i mean, it's just it's surreal 
So the <laughs> idea that you had an unhappy childhood, when you look at the world we grew up in, is incredibly absurd. And I used to say to Carrie, you could get away with it maybe if she didn't have the movies and I wasn't here. <laughs> the fact is, right. I was there every minute. You of saw every it. I, I lived it. So, yeah, exactly. So, so, by the way, she didn't know about this unhappy childhood until she went into therapy, and some therapists tried to point out that you know all of your problems, you know, are are from your parents and Freudian other issues, and you know there were t as therapy evolved over the decades. You know, we stopped blaming our parents and took some personal responsibility, and maybe our childhood mm -hmm. was actually not that bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned the parties and okay. So, you, you know, your mom, Hollywood legend, right? And you're growing up around her. She's just mom. So it's normal for you. But <laughs> I'm assuming, you know, but as a kid, you're next to all these other legends. I mean, you probably had Frank Sinatra hanging out of your house. We had everybody. I mean, at one time or another, uh, you know, and, and so we, and, and that was our version of normal, right? You right. Know, it's not right. as though that wasn't uh, that was normal. But on the other hand, like in hindsight, you know, or at different times, you could look back at one of these parties and go, wow, I, ju I just met Charlie Chaplin and Norman Rockwell and you know, <laughs> right. Betty Davis. I can remember oh like Edward God. G. Robinson dancing with my mother at a party and Jimmy Stewart and Gary Cooper. I mean, it's like everybody mm -hmm. you could think of was at our yeah. house at one time or another. So that's a little surreal, but it was our version of normal. I mean, I like one of the great people that used to come to our parties was James Garner. And what I remember about that is that he didn't like the parties that much. So he'd come in my room and play slot cars with me and my friends. <laughs> so, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> and in my book, I write about Betty Davis being in my bathroom and me walking in on her in my bathroom <laughs> and her having a full conversation with me while she's sitting on the john. <laughs> now that's pretty freaking surreal. That is. <laughs> and, oh wow! Uh, now that one, I even remember being intimidated by, and it took a lot to intimidate me. You know, it seems like in some of the documentaries and whatnot that I've watched about your mom, you know, she wanted to be a mom. I mean, she had this job, but she wanted to be a mom. She brought you guys on the set, and you know, hung out with you there, and you know, she was just trying to be just. Well, I guess in, like in a, the end, a, that's, uh, an old school was, Texas mom. <laughs> well, that's true. And in the end, she was asked a question, what was the thing you were most proud of? And, and it was her children and her mm -hmm. raising us the way that she did. She did such an amazing job of keeping that balance. But you're right. She took us everywhere. But it wasn't like the nanny thing, although we had nannies around at times. But I mean, she was hands on. And, you know, she didn't bypass the responsibility and leave us home uh, you know, we we traveled the world with her, and we're on sets all over the world, and uh, and all over the country, and uh, and hung out at the studio with her, and and you know, she was a hands-on mother, uh, and it was very unusual because I had a lot of other friends in, in similar situations, and their mother, uh, you know, sort of, you know, let the nanny handle things or right. stayed home a lot. Uh, so I felt I knew I was privileged in that regard. Oh yeah. You know, or you read about everybody. Right, you know the story. I don't need to kids. name the names, yeah. but I mean, the, oh, yeah. there were a lot yeah. of kids that you haven't read books about. You know that that got screwed up. You know because yeah, they they didn't really have any parents. You know they were raised right. by the housekeepers. You know, I mean that's just not happening. My mother was very hands on, very conscientious. She was very fixated on making sure we weren't spoiled. Now that's not to say we didn't have everything. We had a ton of stuff, but she made a distinction about being spoiled. She said, I know a lot of people that have very little that are spoiled. She says, the difference is if you appreciate what you have, 
then you're not spoiled. Mm. But when you don't appreciate what you have, now you're spoiled. And yeah. it's an interesting thing to teach children. Those are the life yeah. lessons that, you know, we grew up around. I mean, you got to remember, my mother was grooming Carrie as a little Beverly Hills princess long before George Lucas ever had the idea that he was looking for a princess Leia. And so for my whole life, my mother's grooming Carrie a certain way. And everything you know about Carrie is part of the way my mother groomed her and raised her. By the time she walks into this little audition room and George Lucas is there and has her read the script and she says, I'd recognize your foul stench anywhere. And she's got that attitude in Darth Vader's face. And immediately George Lucas is like, there it is. There, right. There's the princess. What he didn't know is that, you know, that had been going on and had been worked on and groomed by my mother, you know, for a decade. Right. Prior. Yeah. And, and she was just 19 when she got that role, right? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? My mother. Yeah. Both of them was, at 19 with their big roles. Well, it's not just the big roles. Here's a, here's an interesting little mirrored effect. You know, the greatest musical arguably ever made is singing in the rain. My mother stars in that at 19, the greatest science fiction film ever made is the original star Wars film. Right. Where he stars at that at 19. That's an interesting little oh, yeah. mirroring there. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to think, if if anybody is going to think a musical, they're going to think Singing in the Rain. If anybody's going to think science fiction, it's that, you know, Star Wars. That's right. I mean, so, what, yeah, I mean it's not amazing. to say there's not other great films. It's just to say that those are pretty influential and, oh, and totally. certainly could be argued that they're the best in their respective areas. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a, I, I don't even think it's worth an argument. I think it's truth. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know sure. I, like, it depends who you're talking to. You know, yeah. there's a lot of film historians, I'm sure you could bring up some great other film, and I'm a bit of a film buff myself, but, uh, and I know the things that influenced George, and, uh, you know, so you could say 2001. I, Carrie was being interviewed in London one time, uh, back when we were working on the first Star Wars film, and, uh, they asked her, they said, what's your favorite science fiction film? And, and literally she froze and you could see her look over the guy's shoulder to me and I'm mouthing the words 2001 because <laughs> only science fiction film that she, we weren't big science fiction fans. Right. So right. It wasn't like we could, she just froze. She couldn't think of anything at the moment. Right. You know, she could have said war of the world. You could have said fantastic plan. You could have said a lot of stuff, but she just literally just froze up. Oh, you heard the sound, the blaster sound in the background. That's Archie. Archie. Yeah, that's, that's that's Carrie's uh, parrot in the that's background. Right. Right? That's right. So Archie's been with me for about 30 years, but uh, he belonged to Carrie for about a decade and then was given to me about 20 years ago. But uh, So he, he, he was brought up on laser blaster sounds. So occasionally, if you hear that sound in the background, you know it's not me watching a movie. It's just the bird. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> does, does the parrot talk? Oh, yes. In fact, he even talks in Carrie's voice. He says, hello, dear. See, oh, Carrie, Carrie used to do a mo there he goes. Carrie used to do a mocking of my mother. My mother used to call us up on the phone and she'd say, hello, dear, this is your mother. And we'd be <laughs> like, yeah, like we don't know. But she kind of talked like that sometimes. <laughs> she was being formal. Hello, dear. You know, dear, Lillian and I would love to come over, you know. It was like an old Hollywood dialect you know and carrie and i used to make fun of her when she would do that so the inside joke that she teaches the bird is hello dear so <laughs> but it knows a lot of other words that's funny and he that's does funny. it perfectly in her voice which can be a little eerie at times oh i bet yeah that's that's so cool though to, to you know <laughs> for that to be both representative of your mom and and your sister 
Yeah. That's well, we're, you know, our whole life is about storytelling. Uh, my mother was a master storyteller and handed that down to Carrie and I. And of course, Carrie wrote tons of stories as well. And, uh, but we all love storytelling. Um, you know, I, I just think that that is what this business is all about. Uh, I'm not mm -hmm. interested in rehashing, you know, Spider-Man 12. I mean, I think it's fine for those people to love that type of thing, but I just think there's millions of great stories that have been untold, you know, yeah, right, right. That, that don't get told because we're all fixated on the next Batman series, you know, but, yeah. but it's, there's, it's a shame because, you know, the, the, we live in a world with, with every day unfolding more and more inspirational, great stories. And so to me, my mother and sister's story was very inspirational. Uh, and that is why I wrote the book, My Girls, about them and how they moved through life and accomplished a lot of the things that they accomplished. And I had kind of a front row seat to that show. Right. Well, and also in Bright Lights, the the documentary. The Yes. Well, so I, I was one of the producers on that film and that. That was actually Carrie's idea. Uh, she was concerned that my mother was getting old uh, and, and frail and wasn't sure how much longer we were going to have her. And so she was like, let's do like a legacy piece on my mom. And I said, oh, that's never going to go over. She's never going to want to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so you got to come up with a better angle to get her to do it. So the angle became more of the story about the family and her and, her and Carrie. And, and she bought off on that notion that it could right. be, but, but, right. Really, we were sneaking around the idea of doing a legacy piece on her, but but my mother was was very conscientious about not wanting to blow her own horn ever. It, it would mm -hmm. it was always in fact it used to annoy me at times when we were doing the museum, you know, uh, here in Vegas we had the Hollywood Museum, and I put out a bunch of Debbie costumes with hundreds of other costumes, and my mother showed up at one point and said, "Oh, there's too many Debbie costumes." <laughs> I said, "So what do you want me to get rid of? Uh, singing in the rain." Uh, so I, I, I have two singing the rain costumes. Should I get rid of a good morning as opposed to, you know, I mean, what right. exactly, I mean, what are we talking about here? If it was anybody, other star and her name wasn't there, she'd be fine with it. Right. So, but she was conscientious. There was too many Debbie costumes, by the way, I took them down for like two weeks and then I put them back up again. So, oh, okay. <laughs> because I knew the people would want to see yeah. it. it. Oh really yeah, totally. Like, if you're going like, to, if you're going to go, yeah, you got to see that. Well, and it's her collection. It's not right. about her, but it, it is indirectly and people want to see her as much as they do all these other people, but she never saw herself as important as a lot of these other stars. The only, I think it would have been rather interesting and gratifying for her when she did get to watch what happened when she passed. I mean, the outpouring from her fans was mm. unbelievable. And it wasn't, it was Carrie's fans and her fans. It was just unbelievable. The connection that she had with her fans right. became very apparent. And all of a sudden, nobody could deny her importance. Uh, right. and not even her. Now, she wasn't here to complain about it. Uh, but I, I was gratified <laughs> at any rate. Yeah. You know, I teased a story early on here, though, that we got to tell before. Uh, you know, we, we wrap up here, which was sure. how your parents met. So the story yeah. that, you know, that I've heard, of course, is that, oh, you know, 1955, they, they meet on a movie set a couple weeks later, they get engaged and then they get married and there you go. They're America's sweethearts. But there's a twist to that story, huh? Yeah. Well, so uh, it's actually uh, reading my father's book, you get one story. Reading my mother's book, you get another story. But then there's another story. Uh, which comes from my father's best friend who's long since passed away. But I spoke to him about this. His name was Bernie Rich. 
and they were in the Korean War together. And my father was part of the entertain. He was an enlisted man, but he was also an entertainer uh, in the Korean War. Uh, and he was entertaining the troops as my mother was also. She had come from the States as part of Operation Entertainment to entertain the troops. And so she's on stage and he's standing in the wings looking out and he's standing next to his friend. They're both privates. And, and he says to Bernie Rich, he says, I'm going to get that girl. And, my, and he said, what do you mean? He says, I'm going to marry that girl. And Bernie, Bernie was like, yeah, 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 right, right, right. right. Well, segway <laughs> forward, you know, the war has to end. <laughs> so like some time, months go by before he's back in the States and they're back together. And then the Hollywood rom- romance begins and he turns on the charm. So the reality is that Eddie Fisher was actually stalking my mother. And so that's, that's, sort of, <laughs> that's, that's the truth. <laughs> All right, Todd, we're going to ask you to come back tomorrow. We're going to continue our conversation and we're going to talk about Carrie, your sister. Uh, we'll do that tomorrow. But first, let's tell you today's birthdays. On this day in 1856, Woodrow Wilson was born. He passed away in 1924. Seth Meyers was born on this day in 1973, making him 47. David Archuleta is 30. Denzel Washington, 66. John Legend, 42. Stan Lee, we've got a podcast about him. Just head over to your favorite podcast app and search up Stan Lee. This is today and you'll see that. It's his birthday today. Born in 1922, passed away in 2018. That's your look at December 28th. Thanks for listening to This Is Today. We do our best to pull together all the correct information. If we made a mistake and you heard it, you're super smart and we're super sorry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five star if you think we deserve it. If you'd like to make sure that we cover something on a future episode, let us know. Go to thisistodaypodcast.com to make suggestions, give us feedback, and see our other podcasts. I hope you enjoyed learning about today. I'm Russ, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.